Welcome back to the Dr. Supercoach podcast. You're on once again with Cheezo in the Dr. Supercoach studio tonight. I've got Pistol with me, champion. Tell me you're doing good. It's nearly lockout. <laughs> I'm doing fantastic. I'm very happy with my side. Um, also, I was very happy with how long you got that welcome uh, into the podcast. I feel like you're, you're bringing the energy early. <laughs> well, it's just been pent up. It's just been, I've just got like that nervous kind of like, you know, do zoomies around the backyard kind of energy if I was a dog. <laughs> Mate, uh, lots to talk about. You've obviously, um, have you recovered? Obviously, you, you slept for 14 hours after you and JB did the, uh, the, the Amy Community Series breakdown. Are you feeling okay? Oh, I mean, what people don't know is we we did that pod and now we're actually straight on doing this one. So, I'm, I'm into hour five of podcasting. So and you threw be, Callum Mills DDD in there. Be be nice. Yeah, be gentle. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, that, I, I've got to say that was a phenomenal effort from you guys. Easily the best, uh, or at least my favorite podcast that I've um listen to between you guys it was just it was the first no point one that in you've time. got through <laughs> mate it was there was no point in time where i was actually bored like i was like two and a half hours in i'm like that's an excellent point how are your brains still functioning you know like it, it was um it, it was yeah phenomenal and i'm probably going to listen to it a second time before the the start of round one um mate hey, thank the patreons <laughs> have uh i've just said it <laughs> i've said patrons. patrons the patrons have been flying into patreon we're up to nearly 400 of you amazing, amazing supporters of ours that are um, supporting what we do, and we owe a few patrons a shout-out pistol, and you've put your hand up uh, because it, it's your turn to shout some names out about, you know, it's a dollar if you get one wrong, and we expect you guys to kind of write in uh, if, uh, if there's any incorrect pronunciation, so keep him on his toes here, guys. Well, no, look, uh, big thank you to, to everyone. Uh, I'm going to start with Alan. Thank you very much. We've got Nathan, Keith, uh, John, AK, Rowan, Josh. It's some really nice, easy names. All the, all the, Is that the, just like Josh? The yeah, just Josh, just Rowan. <laughs> We've got Riley Williams, uh, Stefan Laterra. Anthony, Marcus Stent, Just Tim, and this is an actual Just Tim. <laughs> He's just actually put Just Tim in there. Which is... <laughs> I love it. Absolutely meta. I'm a big fan of just him. Uh, Carl Abolo, Glenzie, Callum Good, VB. All right. Awesome. Uh, Cade Bertels and Dil Zah. And Tom Butters, which is cool because we had a Tom Butters on the previous one. So two Tom Butters now, mm. which is really interesting. Um, but also there's a note here that says... Rama and James need to get involved because they're not very good at Supercoach and need as much help as they can get. So wow. that's a weird one. Imagine signing up to Patreon and then throwing some shots at your, your mates that you're trying to beat in a head-to-head. I hope it's not a cash league. They, they would be just lashing out right now. I reckon they need to sign tactic. up. <laughs> yeah, looking forward to having them on board. That's for sure and seeing what happens next. <laughs> Uh, quickly before we get into this podcast, Pistol, it's all about team structure. Exactly uh, two and a half days before lockout, this is exactly what we think. Um, it, not so much what uh, is the way that you definitely should go, but just some uh, options that you could be choosing from in terms of your team structure. Definitely, definitely some ones that we favour. We do have some news that has dropped. We do have some rookies that have been named or ruled out, which I'll just read off, Pistol. Um, coming out on Monday, GWS have actually announced... Um, that Tanner Bruin and Matt Flynn will de- uh, will debut in round one. So that's fantastic to hear that uh, those two are going to be um, in calculations for our sides looking for some cash gen. Unfortunately, those that had um, Josh Treacy from the Dockers, he's been suspended for clumsily falling over and concussing someone for three weeks. So uh, I don't think at this point, Pistol, with the difficulty we're going to have Picking some, uh, some some rookies this year, we can uh, take someone in like Josh, who's uh, just looking like a floating loophole at this stage. What do you think? Yeah. I, you actually, when you were talking, you get, I got a bit of an idea. Do you reckon because of that 12-day concussion rule, so essentially if you're concussed, you're going to miss the next game, maybe mm. maybe two, yep. depending on you know fixtures. Is that then like a almost guarantee suspension if someone's doing anything tiny bit illegal or borderline? It's even more, I guess, favoured against the person that has caused the, the concussion um, in terms of suspension. It's, it's like an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. It's like I'm, you're out for two weeks, so you're out for two weeks. Do you, th- do you think we'll see a little bit more of that this year? I'd be disappointed if the outcome continued to be 
um, the measuring stick for what I know, people get, but get it's still going suspended to for. I, I think looking at the available evidence, that's kind of what's going to happen. And uh, if you're part of our Patreon page, I think two years ago when we started or how long ago, I was talking about how the Australian Medical Association had made the suggestions um, and made like a position statement where they, as a governing body, come out and said, this is what we believe to be true, uh, which was that people with concussions shouldn't be undertaking con- um, combat or contact sports within a 14-day window. And it's interesting to me that the AFL has chosen an arbitrary number of 12 because when you think about it, if you get concussed on a Sunday, you can still play the following Friday night. I mean, yeah. the, the Friday night too. So it, it's, if it was it's the, not arbitrary the four- then, is it? <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like they're like, we totally agree with you, medical association, but, but we're going to do this so they can still play in two weeks' time. Yeah. So uh, I just find that super interesting. Um, but yeah, definitely. No, so uh, back to your original question, three mm. weeks. Um, I mean, he fell on top of somebody uh, <laughs> kind of. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess it wasn't accidental if he got suspended for three weeks. It just seems like a lot for an accident. <laughs> I guess. Three weeks is like a, a like a forearm to the head, isn't it? That's just like that's like a a hit off the ball. Three weeks. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's a big suspension. I, I I'm interested to see how this plays out through the rest of the season. But yeah, for, when you're suspended for three weeks, you're you're not on my side anymore. So I've I've had to replace him. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's jump into the structure pistol. We might as well jump into the back line first. And it's probably what is dictating our structures a heck of a lot so far this year because we just don't have those rookie options presenting. And that's leading us to go deeper there than we ordinarily would have. Yeah, if you managed to catch my rookie review, you would note that my number three option in the back line was, oh my God, <laughs> we need some help. <laughs> there's, there's pretty much, we're looking at uh, Big Cozzy, um, Jacob Kashitsky from uh, Hawthorne and also Tom Highmore. They're pretty much uh, the only two options that I've got faith in that will be named in round one, which means that it's uh, a bit difficult to make a backline when you barely have any rookies. So I guess the main structures I'd like to talk about would be having either four premium defenders or five premium defenders. And kind of then do you go four premium defenders, Chizo, with two mid-prices? Or do you do one mid-pricer and one rookie on field? And then how do you fill your bench? Kind of like that. Um, is there anything you want to say for those people that are considering just three premiums and maybe three mid-prices? I think the the main thing for me is how many mid-prices per year actually come off and be successful picks. It's yep. not a whole lot. So every mid-pricer that you introduce, and a mid-pricer I'm kind of talking 250-ish and above, let's say anything below Jack Zeeble's price. Jack Zeeble's, uh, let's in say 260. <laughs> uh, for, for just a, as a mid-pricer in general, most years they just don't all come off at once so the more of these guys that you introduce into your team the more likelihood that you've picked one that's going to fail okay yep. um so the reason that i don't like say three premiums and three mid prices is because there's a massive massive chance particularly in the back line where the mid prices typically aren't that reliable anyway um you're just increasing your chances that you're just going to be stuck with one and that are just sputting it up and haven't hit the heights that you really need them to be to be a successful pick. Um, and I just see that as just being a really big headache. Whereas I think there's the argument to be made that you can probably pick two and be reasonably comfortable that you'll have, um, you know, the downside risk will be limited as opposed to having three because, you know, the third one that you pick is like, You've already picked the two favorite ones that you think yeah, you're going to exactly. succeed and you're suddenly down to the bronze medal spot, you know, and we really need to be picking gold medal type mid prices and that's the problem that I have. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. I think when you're trying to pick the third, you, you're picking the third best option, which is for a mid pricer, it's unlikely to be super successful. There's very rarely three good mid prices for the whole season, let alone three in the same position from mm. round one. Um, yep. It just seems madness. So I'm going to focus a little bit on four premiums versus five premiums. I think um, for me, I guess the heavy factor is Whitfield. I think that's the largest factor in selecting mm. the side. These rule changes seem, you know, the man on the mark rule changes seem 
to be built for someone like Lucky Whitfield to succeed in Supercoach. So for me, he's a guaranteed trade-in whenever he's fit, which means that if you start five premiums, you're saving that sixth spot for Whitfield. If you have four, you have a bit more flexibility because obviously there's two spots left. The problem I have with five premium defenders is that you have to pick the five you think are going to finish in the top six and Whitfield at the end of the year. And if you're not picking, let's say, Lloyd, you're almost picking no Lloyd for the whole season. And uh, that could be very bad. But also, if you're picking, let's say, um, Tom Stewart or something, if one of these picks goes really badly as well, um, there's just like less room to maneuver. Oh, I, should, I should flip it around. Sorry, Chizo. What if there's a Jordan Ridley type and yep. you have five premiums and you're saving yep. that last spot for Whitfield? Mm-hmm. You can't jump on. There's nowhere to move. Yep. So it just that it decreases that flexibility in your side. And I think for me, that's probably the, the biggest reason to not go with five premium mid prices, five premium defenders. I mean, I my gut instinct was to go five because of that halfback flank and the increased marks, and I thought they might get a scoring boost. But you you can't really afford that lack of flexibility early, and I want to be able to jump on somebody who might be having an absolute breakout of season. So um, for me, I feel like four is better than five, but I can totally see someone if they want to pick five um, and just run the gauntlet and maybe say you know if Whitfield happens to be God's greatest gift on the earth then I'll play Laird at M8 not that I I like that strong I definitely don't like it but I can see that being an option you know if you want to play it super safe yeah and I totally agree I think the key word is flexibility I think the issue that we have with five is that in those five one of them has to be Lloyd and if you're going five deep genuine premiums with Lloyd you know we're only getting 12 you know probably 12 premiums or 11 and a half a lot of us max right now because a lot of these rookies that we're relying on and a lot of the cash gen we're going to be relying on is from 200k plus players you know looking at Dow, Impey, uh, Campbell these kind of guys so it's becoming increasingly difficult to get 12 premiums and then I've seen people turn around and say hey I've got 12 premiums and I look at their team and they've definitely got five premiums in the back line they've got Lloyd they've got Neil Gorn and Grundy and then the other premiums they've selected are like 450k breakout options that technically if you hold for the rest of the year and they play they're going to be breakout options but you can't have three of these guys and say that you've got 12 premiums like at the moment I'm kind of considering myself you know, 11 and a half premiums and I've got like the likes of Taranto that I'm hoping will become one. You know, it's it's totally different saying, hey, I've got 12 premiums and, you know, you're, you know, predicting that they're all going to become premiums as opposed to I've got 12 legitimate premiums as per last year's scoring. There's a difference. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree with you. And I think uh, some people might be screaming into their microphones saying, well, what if, what about the option where we have three rookies on field? Not mid prices or two, you know, two mid prices. It's just the rookies in the back line, as much as we all want them to be there, they're just not there. The only ones really you'd have to pay up more is for Cox or Butts. They're both expensive. And a lot of people don't like paying elevated price for rookies because they make money likely more slower if they don't have higher scoring potential, which when you're selecting, you know, 200 centimeter blokes, um, typically they don't have super high scoring potential so um, it is possible if you would like to play you know four premium defenders and then have one mid pricer and three rookies Um, I do do see some people with Cox at um, d6 and I think it is viable but for me I I try my best to structure my side around the rookies and that includes benching the rookies with low scoring potential and keeping the ones with high scoring potential on my field so personally the four defenders, one mid-pricer, and one rookie on field is something that I feel awkward about. I do like playing Tom Highmore on field. I think he's going to have good scoring potential, but the problem Mm. is then you're benching like $175,000 either Butts or Cox. So that's an expensive player to bench for a very slow burn, which it could be better money spent on your field. Um, And, you know, there's some mid-pricers that I think... uh, 
will make the same amount of money and score more points. So I'd rather invest, I guess, in them. Um, Chizo, I'm just going to ask you, are there any mid-prices? Because you weren't on the, the last podcast. Are there any backline mid-prices that kind of tickle your fancy? There's lots of names, and they're all within about a $300 window of each other. <laughs> um, I think... I mean, I'd almost still class Jordan Clark as rookie price, but we'll in- include him here for argument's sake. Um, I think he has the best scoring potential of the bunch if he's playing. I think yeah. there's a he's little bit He's got the worst of- job security. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think if he plays like he did um, in the preseason, he's going to have no trouble holding his spot because um, Geelong have like a, like the the strongest 17, 18 players in the competition. And then there's four guys that you've, like where did they draft them again? I can't even remember, you know, sort of thing. So yeah. Yeah, uh, I think there's absolutely potential for him to be playing week in, week out if, um, you know, he keeps his performance up. Um, I I think beyond that, it becomes a bit of a coin toss. Um, a lot of these guys only really kind of popped up into our binoculars just because they had decent games in the preseason. I mean, CJ, no one was talking about. Isaac Cumming, people were talking about it as soon as we saw the um, the Giants game. We you know, tried to forget that we'd brought him up at some point. Um, Jimmy Webster's come out of the woodworks because we're desperate for someone that has previous scoring history uh, you know, above 43-plus um, in the back line. And Arazio... Um, is someone that's playing in a good side that's probably going to kick 12 goals in the opening two rounds and score really well, but he's not someone that I would desperately, specifically, keyword, want in my defense. I think um, it's a strategic kind of play to get him in um, because he might be having a good early run and generate some quick cash. Um, mm. But I think I think the one that also stands out for me is Hayden Young because of his incredible pedigree. He played really, really well um, in the preseason. I don't think he took a mark either, Pistol. So I, I, I almost... I, <laughs> Where did I, you I, hear that? Uh, I, I heard podcast? that from a, a, really good post, a really good podcast I was listening to. Um, and so I don't even think his 80-odd was representative of what he can potentially go. The thing that has put me off Hayden Young the entire preseason, not only is he's like the most expensive out of the whole lot, but Luke Ryan has just got such a massive monopoly in the back line and we didn't get to see them play together. So is it yeah. a representative um, sample of the role he's going to have when Luke Ryan's back there? Because yeah. Hayden Young's pedigree is just insane and is probably 12 months away from averaging three figures. So I've got to ask you then, if I'm going to say like gun to your head, if you have to pick one, yeah, I know I'm putting you on the spot, but do you have a favorite? Uh, well, it... I'll pick a favorite. I'll take that answer and and turn it into a favorite structure. Favorite structure is four and two, okay. and the two yep. that I want to pick would be uh, Young and prices? Clark. Oh, okay. In so terms two mid prices, in, not in a terms of mid prices. That's okay. right. So not a not a mid price and a rookie. Okay. Yeah. 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 Cool. Cool. I, th- I think young, I think just young and to... Clark, you think of the safest safest option. Yeah. I I think Chizo Clark probably has underrated. I guess worrying job security. I think um, if you're going to go with the four-one-one structure, four premiums, one mid-price, and one rookie, I don't like having Jordan Clark at D five because if he mm. is dropped, you're relying on two rookies playing on field. Whereas if at least if he's your D six, you can have like Highmore, you know, come on, and you've got that cover there. And I think it just increases your risk profile of your side so much um, having him at D five that. It goes past the point of uh, no return for me, so that's kind of how I've structured my backline and my thought my thought process behind. That. I yeah. feel like this is kind of like a mini team reveal. Like when you got the <laughs> you can pretty much work out outsides anyway. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I think I tend to agree. I think the job security surrounding Jordan Clark is almost the, the opposite. Like I feel like people are like, ah, he's got no job security, but if he keeps playing like that, then they're just forced to pick him. Yeah, no, it was absolutely insane the way he played. You, you'd never drop somebody that's playing like that. Yeah, probably. But you, you can't deny that the likes of Arazio and Hayden Young, you, there's no question over their drop security. So I, 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 yeah, exactly. I absolutely agree in those kind of things. So is it is it worth um, paying that extra 30k for job security, but potentially not as high ceiling if uh, you know 
if anything from the Amy series is to go by. And uh, we should clarify that there's nothing wrong inherently with having a rookie at D6, and it probably makes yeah. everyone's side better. It looks just, so good. <laughs> it's just one of those sleep at night factors for the fact that you've got Highmore that may be in the side. You've got Kajitsky that's going to play, but he's going to be a key forward in a bottom four club as you put it in your rookie review. So what's he going to average? 45 maybe. He's going to be like... Um, <laughs> poor scorer, yeah. Poor, you know, you don't... You, you ideally don't want that on field. And then people are yelling at us right now, what about Lockie Jones? Like all these other guys... The reason that they're not like higher on the list or as a D8 option is because there's just either no scoring potential or job security there. So there's no... Job security is a big one. They're just yeah. not best 22 as much as we would want them to be. They're not, they're not going not to make cash if they're not playing. And yeah. um, I, I guess that kind of uh, brings up the question, what about Fife from the Gold Coast as a D8 loophole to allow us to get one of those rookies on field is that is that something that you've been toying with i have seen it uh, you know a lot both in slack and outside of slack yeah i've never i've never really toyed with it because i want to generate as much cash as possible i think our rookies are going to be unfortunately dropped at times throughout the season and i don't want to put myself in a, a point at the very beginning of the year where i'm already saying, okay, I'm losing a rookie spot and that potential cash generation for a donut. I think we're going to be forced into getting donuts throughout the year and we'll make do when they come in. Um, but look, if you're going to go with a you know uh, a D8, I guess, loophole to loophole two of the, these rookies, I'd feel way safer if your D5, again, wasn't Jordan Clark and instead mm. Jordan Clark may be in your midfield that you can swing down back if you wanted to. Um, that that would increase, you know, um, the safety of your side tenfold. I think so. Yeah, that would be my recommendation if you are looking for that. Plus, you get to then play Highmore on field, and if he's got a bad fixture, or he's dropped. Then you know, Clark goes into the back line, stuff like that. So, yeah, I think it's a good question, Chizo. Um, did you want to jump into a different line? Yeah, well, uh, we might as well jump into a more... Ex- uh, let's go from no rookies to every rookie under the sun. Let's jump <laughs> into the forwards. Uh, if we're going heavy in the back line, can we go as heavy in the forward line? I mean, look, the rookies... Uh, there's so many forward rookies that we we have like this surplus and it's spilling over into the midfield line. So we're basically stacking our midfields with these forward mid DPPs and we still have enough rookies to fill our forward line so for me you kind of the, the way that I'm structuring my forward line is I pick my rookies first and see if I like which mid prices I like and putting them in my side seeing how many spots are left over for premium options and then picking the premium options so I guess that is based on your feel of um, which rookies you feel are playable on field and which rookies are playable on the bench uh, in my opinion there's some rookies uh Obviously, a lot of them have DPP, but people um, like Camp, Braden Campbell, uh, Chad uh, Warner, if someone like Eli Smith was able to get names, that would be awesome because these are all really fieldable options. Um, and they're ones that I'd be happy having on my field every week. And then you've got people like James Rowe or Harry Jones that you can just like pop on your bench for this like cash generation, um, these slow burns type things. So uh, I think... The big one here, Chizo, is how many mid prices do you feel comfortable with in your your forward line? And it's more of a I know mid prices we've we've got to kind of change the spectrum because mm. pretty much two hundred K and above I think is is probably fair for these for the for the this argument's sake and the discussion. Is there Sure. Yeah. What what what's your gut feel there? Um I think that it all comes down to scoring potential. It's great that we have a thousand rookies to pick from in the, in the forward line, but there's no point having Harry Jones playing a, a key forward for a bottom four side in Essendon. Um, same with Rowe. Um, you know, you maybe wouldn't want to play Brockman on field either. Yes, we have a lot of these rookies, but that doesn't necessarily mean you need to fill your forward line with these guys averaging 40. There needs to be a balance. And that's for that reason, we are looking at the likes of Azebel, Impey, Danaher, Dow, Campbell, all around 200K and above, because they should therefore have the combination of 
making us a bit of cash while also scoring points on field. Um, because the one thing with Supercoach is it's really hard to play catch-up if you spent the first half of the year just generating cash um, across the field. You still need to have that mix of being able to get points on the board as well. So um, I think to answer your question, I'd be looking at in the realms of three to four of these around 200K and above in the forward line to kind of find the right balance um, of you know, scoring potential and cash generation between the two and benching yep. the safe guys that are just going to plug away like a row and a Jones on the bench that are just going to make 40s every week, make you 100K, but it's going to take them 12 weeks to get there. Is that, is that kind of aligning with your sort of thinking or no? Yeah, no, I think three or four is probably a good answer because if you have three or four, you can ensure that you've got the high scoring rookies on your forward line, on your field, and the worst scoring, the slow burns on your bench. So um, depending on which ones you take and where, if you're playing some in the midfield or some in the forward line, you have that flexibility there. Um, I think it is probably also um, being, I guess, less appreciated how much risk there is when you do take all of the options. I think you can go overboard. I know they're all good picks in their own right, but at the same time, we're just talking about how not every mid-pricer is is a good mid-pricer, and whilst there's some big names like obviously Danaher is a, a big name, it doesn't he's not guaranteed to succeed. I mean, when you throw in Fantasia, who we were considering in the back line, he's still a forward eligible option. And if you're looking at a forward line where you had like Fantasia and Zebel and Impy and Danaher and Dow, I'm like, this too sounds heavy. bad. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, that's slightly too lot. heavy. You, you, I think there's. I think there's a spot for one rookie in the forward line that's like baseline, you know, maybe low averaging like type Warner of player. and below, yeah. Yeah, I think it doesn't have to be Warner, but I think there's one space in the forward line that goes that you can afford yeah. to have one of that. I, I see a lot of teams with Warner at F4 and then like Harry Jones and then like a row on field. Yeah, row on field. Like, yeah. I'm like, man, that's that's just asking for trouble. I'll give you I'll give you an example. I, I had this question in Slack today. Would I rather Oliver and Impey or Neil and just a bargain basement rookie on field? And I'm thinking to myself, you know, there's maybe 10 points difference this year potentially between Oliver and Neil when it's all said and done. And Impey's probably going to average 70 to 80 if his role goes as well as we hope it does. And if you're playing, you know, Rowe or Jones on field averaging 35 to 45, there's like 30 points difference in there for the same amount of cash. So that kind of highlights exactly what we're talking about, that you do need a couple of these higher price guys, but there's probably at least F6 that you can have a cheaper, someone like a Warner that you can kind of fit in there, uh, maybe a Brockman uh, with the good job security that can just keep ticking away and have the odd good game. All right, so I'm going to fling you another question. Sure. Probably actually two. If you had to leave out one mid-pricer, so I guess the one that you think either has the highest risk or your highest risk to reward ratio, which which mid-pricer would you leave out of your side? And we're talking uh, Zebul, Impy, Fantasia, Danaher. Danaher. Nah, let, let's just do Zebul, Impy, Danaher, and Dow because they're the okay. big four that that most teams seem to have. Um, I know, hypothetically, you would also still be comfortable having all four, but if, yep. if I'm yep. forcing you to miss out on one, mm-hmm. who would you feel comfortable missing out on? Or not comfortable, but who would you least not mind? <laughs> yeah, I, I honestly think it's a cost basis. I think if you've got enough money for Zebul, Impy, and Dow, they're probably... Sorry, Zebul, Impy, and Danaher, they're probably the three that you take. Dow is sort of like that fourth option that... You know, is we're hoping has a better year this year. At least with Zebul, Impy, and Danaher, we've got exposed form about what we can expect from them. Dow's a bit more of a oh geez, he's had a pretty good preseason yeah. and he was a high pick. I wonder if he's going to score well. We've never seen it. Is the kind of suggestion that I get surrounding him? I've got no problem with those that are picking him at two hundred k, but I think with Danaher for only thirty k more. We've seen the ceiling. He's now playing in a in a team that knows how to deliver the ball into the forward fifty, and they play the Swans first up. You know, there's every chance that Danaher, yeah, you know, kicks a bag in the first round. Whereas Dow, what what's our thing for Dow? We're like, geez, wouldn't it be good if he averaged sixty five? You know, if 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 Danaher averaged seventy five, I'd be like, yeah, that's that's probably what we expected. 
You know, it's probably not yeah. probably not great, but that's probably the flaw from what we you know he played. So Dow's definitely number four for me. But if you're looking around the rest of your side and you're, and you're choosing between you know um, let's say like a, a, a Jack McRae and a Dow or a uh, a lesser mid and Danaher, Bontempelli yeah, um, like and Bontempelli. It's just got to be your personal choice. It's got to be which of those mids do you prefer the most? Yeah, um, I, I would. Yeah, I, I would agree. But also, I would be. I, I don't think the difference between Danaher and Dow is going to be more than the difference between like a McRae and someone like yeah, less than Zaret. So like, yeah. yeah, anyone. Even if it was a difference, yeah. I, I think if you need that that thirty k, I'm fine if you. Would were to sacrifice somebody like Danaher in, yeah. and and keep Dow, um, but I, I do agree that you know if they were the same price, I would be picking Danaher over Dow. So um, I think it, what about who's your favorite? Who's your number one mid price? Um, number one is probably Zebel just because of the new role he's got. You know, it, yeah. he. I, I don't think at any point he's going to be forced to take <laughs> attention of a defender. I don't think he's had to do that in his life before, uh, yeah. and he took. A reasonable way, a high, massive percentage compared to what I thought. He, I didn't think he'd take a single one, and he was taking 50 percent <laughs> of the kickouts. So yeah. uh, that's really good because it's probably going to rebound. and He'll get another kickout. So um, uh, he's probably the number one for me, just because I think he has the highest scoring potential, like average over the rest. I think Ippy's kind of like seventy to eighty if we're lucky. Yeah. Dow's a tier lower than that, and Danaher could be anything, but he also could be nothing depending on his body. So uh, I think Zeeble's the number one for me that kind of jumps up. Do, is that aligned with you as well? Yeah, I think there's a non-zero chance. I mean, there's a small chance that he could end up being like an F6 at the end of the year if he goes around 90 and we just yep. don't bother trading him out because we're like, ah, oh, is it worth a trade at the end depending on how that's going? Um, I think he's going to be a real good pick. I mean, my gut says Tom Atkins. I must get Tom Atkins, but I've been talked off the ledge since the last podcast. Um, but I've still got that devil on my shoulder yelling at me for not selecting Tom Atkins. So I have to say Jack Zebel. <laughs> you know what we call this? We call this pre-round one psychosis. Yeah, that, that's that, what it feels like. <laughs> that's the diagnosis from Dr. Supercoach because you suddenly start thinking about players that you've never thought had any relevance until two days ago. <laughs> oh, it's, it's been in my head for like he's, he's living rent free in my brain at the moment it's, <laughs> it's driving me absolutely insane Chizo, very quickly the premium options in the forward line I don't yes. think uh, we'd recommend many people outside of uh, I guess we'll call them the big four or mm-hmm. at least um, that's what we've been calling it in our, our Slack we've got four major options being Dangerfield Dunkley Dusty and Butters might surprise some people that were high on Butters but you just need to listen to JB's rants um, about Butters and he has us all convinced and he has given us full permission that if uh, it goes badly, we get to call by blame him. So for me, uh, mm. I love a get-out-of-jail-free card, but no, <laughs> I'm kidding. It, the risk is on you if you decide to take it, but um, I, I feel confident in the selection because of JB. <laughs> he, he's, he picks a breakout every single year and so far he's one from two. He's at a strike rate of 50%, which is not terrible. Uh, this, is most. Gonna, this, this is going to be the defining year. And wouldn't it be funny if Dan Houston broke out this year and he's just like, oh, I told you so. And it, the whole premise was that it was because he was going to be playing midfield last year. So you can't claim that one, JB, as much as you're trying to in <laughs> Slack right now. It doesn't count. It's a different role. Um, no, um, I agree. Yeah. I agree. I don't think you can go past a lot of those guys. Um, a lot of people considering Dane Zorko with Cam Rayner's injury as well. They, you know, thinking, well, he's the obvious one to go back in. Problem with Dane Zorko, he's sneaky old. I think he's um, early 30s now, 32, 33, something like that. I just, that ceiling never goes up once you're already at that point, you know. So um, I would be looking certainly at the likes of Dusty, Dunkley, Danger, um, these kind of guys that we can be a lot more confident in. Um, Yeah. And as you said, but the, the next kind of question is, we're seeing the kind of combination between one to three premiums in the forward line. We've already talked about that we're stacking it with rookies um, and that's sort of like the structure we're going with. Is two forward premiums okay, Pistol? I think it's, it is if you're happy with that and you can structure the remainder of your side. It probably impacts the, the midfield more than anything else. Is three too far? I would say three premiums is too deep. 
And we're seeing oh, some teams yeah, that are totally four deep, deep in the forward line. I think, you know, anything past two is too deep. And yeah. you just have to pick the couple that you've got in there. As much as you might like Heaney, as much as you might like Dugowie for a breakout, um, you can't pick four in the forward line. You've got That's where the rookies are. Yeah. And that's just the structure you've got to go with. Yeah, Dugowie's not... Not a bad shot, I guess, if you're into that sort of stuff, that that pain. But you're right. If you're desperate to pick some more of these midfield options, put them in the midfield. Um, there's no problem with that. I've got Dangerfield very happily um, in my midfield. I've actually got Dangerfield and Dunkley in my midfield at the moment. So um, no no stresses yes. about that. They can move into the forward line later. But you got to you got to pick where the rookies are. And fortunately, that flexibility of the DPP allows us to structure our sides. Um, and make the most out of where the rookies are. So I guess with that being said, Chizo, do you want to uh, potentially jump into the midfield? Absolutely. I don't know if you heard me there. Community writing down, uh, he's got danger in his team. So uh, (laughs) we're slowly crossing him off. It's a a little bit of a Trojan horse thinking that we're actually doing a podcast. It's just me kind of trying to figure out what his team is for Rivalry (laughs) League. Uh, We will jump into the midfield mix now. And this is where it sort of gets a little bit more interesting for me, Pistol, because there's a lot more flexibility. We've talked about the forward line, how it's kind of like this way or the highway. Defense is kind of like one or two ways that you can kind of go. Midfielders, you've got a lot more flexibility. Do you pick four or five absolute big guns? Do you kind of pick three, use some DPP to throw the likes of danger forward? Um, do we pick the breakouts like uh, Rao, Walsh, Taranto, that suddenly you're six deep? Um, there's a lot more flexibility here, as we say. I tend to be on the the kind of line of thinking that you should be kind of picking a couple of these guys that you are absolutely certain are going to be in the top handful come the end of the year rather than filling a line you know that if you've only got eight spots you don't want three guys that maybe go 110 plus you you really want at least a couple of those spots to be absolute dead set jets yeah i think the way that i would structure my midfield would be purely based like on the rookies i think if if we look at how many rookies we have available and particularly the pure midfield rookies it's two, maybe two, three, maybe four, if we're very lucky. I mean, Tom Powell should be locked into everyone's team. I think um, Erol Goulden should just be on your bench. And then you've got Connor Downey, who might play round one, maybe not. Mm-hmm. And after that, it starts going downhill really quickly. I think I've, I've made sides where I have six rookies, and I feel like I can't really push a seventh rookie in my midfield and if you pick six rookies that's only leaving five spots for premiums and mid prices yeah so i can see there being some teams where you're playing like a a paddy dow in your midfield and that's kind of your fifth mid and that's okay because i guess you've gone heavier forward and it does bounce so it's not a hard and fast you you must select five you can definitely select four or three depending on your other players in your team and where you're putting the rookies on your field um i'd say just the average that we're seeing is either five or four um premiums slash combination of premiums and mid prices jesus do you have a strong do you have a strong preference to picking let's say you're picking like four big big guns um and a mid pricer or is it something like you just rather get five premiums instead um and no mid pricer do you do you lean a certain way this year um, I, I lean towards the no mid-pricer because we're being forced to take mid-prices in other lines. So if you've got D5, D6, um, and then F2, F3, F4, you know suddenly you've got way more mid-prices than you want in your team, and adding another one in is just asking for trouble. There's also not many mid-prices in the midfield that genuinely excite me. I, yeah. I, I did like Haitley at the start of the year because he's got good underage stuff and good needful stuff. Adelaide seemingly don't rate him, and he didn't set the world on fire in the preseason. Heppel, likewise, has that halfback role where he's averaged 90 before as a 19-year-old. Could totally do it again. I'm not sure he's the same sort of player off the back line as he he was back in the day since he's been a midfielder for a decade, so that remains to be seen. I was watching that game thinking, you know, he's going to be fine. He's going to average, you know, 20 touches. But that ceiling that I thought he could reach just isn't there. And I think as a mid-pricer that you're paying for, you really want someone that is really high on that score potential. There's no point paying two, uh, sorry, 300000 350000 for a player that's going to average 85 because it'll be 
to to get to their peak cash generation of whatever it ends up being like 150k or something like that you'll know off the top of your head pistol it's just such a slow burn if they're not averaging way way above their priced average um and so the risk profile of the rook of the um, mid prices that we already have got there in the end adding another one in the midfield that we're not super crash hot about just doesn't I, I think that's just asking for trouble that's probably the one that ends up failing on you because you've picked them out of necessity and so I had been tinkering for a, the longest time with three midfield premiums a DPP forward that I'd put there to allow me to bring in another forward rookie and then the potential breakout of either a Taranto a Raul or a Walsh at M5 with three rookies on field that's what I've been playing with for quite some time um, it's probably the one for me that has the best mixture of scoring potential, um, you know, out of all the combinations in the midfield that we can have. But it, again, it all comes down to your entire side structure. And I just felt I was spending too heavy in the midfield. It was just a little bit too juicy that was costing cash to kind of shore up the side in other areas. Jeez, um, I'm writing notes letting you know, trying to figure out your team as well. It's, it's, a, it's a two-way street here. It's not just one way. <laughs> I can hear you scribbling. Um, yeah. So I hope that kind of explains my thought process on how I got to this point. And the problem is I'm looking at the ownership percentage uh, of some of these players. We've got a, we've got one in five teams that still have Will Phillips won't play round one. Um, we've got over 10% people with Archie Perkins, which will probably be play round one but he's playing in the forward line for Essendon probably plays low time on ground as well Tanner Bruins in uh in one in five teams as well he's been named for round one which is fantastic you know is his role yeah. super super consistent he, he is actually a, a genuine gun midfielder but we've since when did GWS give their gun midfielders time in the midfield in the first season Tom Green couldn't get it last year and he's better than Tanner Braun as an out and out midfielder so he's going to be a slow burner at an elevated price it just it, it's screaming to me that if we can find three genuine rookies that have decent scoring potential that will play that is probably the structure I will pick and I'll figure out the five premium selections later. I think the yep. rookies are the key part in determining what structure you go with and hence why I've been playing with one and sometimes two DPPs in the mid, uh, from the forward line in the midfield to allow for those good rookies to help with that cash gen. Yeah, Chizo, I think you said it, you said it pretty perfectly. I mean, I, I don't really mind Heppel and like Tom Green. I think they're just not... I don't think they're bad, but I also don't think they're good. I think they're just totally fine. Um, I probably think Heppel's a little bit better because you bank that extra 40k and still think he'll probably go 85 to 90. Like he's fine. They're they're very like they're not picks. If you if you're in it to like you're like I'm desperate to just go all out and try and catch lightning in the bottle and like win from round one. Like they're they're definitely not the picks that are going to get you there. Mm. Um, they're kind of those. I don't know if it's safe or slow burn picks, but they're just fine. I don't think it's bad. Like I, I think some people are too negative on those other picks, thinking that it's like they're definitely bad choices. But yeah, I, I guess um, I don't have as much of a problem with it. There's another mid price, I guess, that's popped up that we spoke about on the previous podcast that I'm starting to see in more and more sides, which is uh, Dom Tyson, 243 for Kangas. Um, he scored over a ton playing in the midfield. I just want to point out he scored three goals and he also didn't play with Cunnington, Anderson, and DeMont. I'm not, I know he might get a role in the midfield, but at the same time, when you're paying an extra 140K for somebody, because it's 240K, they need to have either rock solid job security or they're going to have unreal scoring potential or they're in a position that doesn't have other rookie options. So it feels like better to take that risk um so for example like a jordan clark i've almost described him but it feels it feels safer i guess um than dom tyson because there's just no other real options whereas in the midfield there's so many other options that you can select as rookies so they just like kind of don't it just feels like kind of an unnecessary gamble he might be fine he might be totally fine but when you're structuring your side i'd rather invest that extra money and try and get a better like that's the difference between Raul and like Oliver. Mm. Like I'd rather pick Oliver, I guess. You know, that's 
seems like a definite safety selection. Um, yeah, I think uh, I like what you said about over we're forced into mid prices and not overdoing it. I've tried my very best to make sure that I've limited the amount of mid prices on my side. I went a bit crazy earlier on, but now you know I'm Tony down would be to- proud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I I had so many in the first iteration when when things were out, but I think I'm down to like four, five, five mid prices, yep. um, which I'm probably comfortable at, um, but. Yeah, when you're adding in another one in the midfield and maybe an extra on the forward, like seven and eight mid prices, is it's a lot of risk. So yeah, um, yeah, I, I appreciate what you said about that. Yeah, I, I think that the important thing is we're being forced to pick them elsewhere. There's no reason we should just elect to pick another one in the midfield after we've already talked about it being the main cause of things flopping. Yeah, I mean, so. if you're as long as you, if you, if you want to, if you genuinely think they're going to average a hundred plus, like do it. Just pick them. Like, yeah. Just if you think those mid prices are going to you know, break out, whatever, just definitely pick them. Um, yeah. Just yeah, understand the risk profile of your sides and trying to balance that with the risk mm. reward ratio. There, there, there's a there's a common saying that a leopard doesn't change his spots, pistol. And in regards to Dom Tyson as a fantasy footballer, I've always said a Jared Oakley nickel doesn't change his spots. Uh, <laughs> Uh, a, a few people that remember the, the draft from many, many years back uh, will get that reference. Um, but if he breaks out and becomes a genuine cash-generating option, averaging 80-plus, uh, I think I just need to hang up the boots or something, Pistol, because that, that would just be totally blindsiding me and just would dumbfound me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll jump into the rucks because I think they're a bit interesting to talk about. Yes. In my opinion, Chizo, I'm I'm... I kind of assume you share the same one because mm-hmm. we're thinking pretty aligned this podcast in particular. But mm-hmm. there's only two options here. Yeah, it's Gorn and Grundy. Gorn and Grundy, <laughs> <laughs> or Gorn and Rookie. I think as a captaincy is, option, is that an option though? I I think it we need. I think it's it needs to be discussed because okay. well, discussed we, is the right word. That's that's exactly what I feel when I look at it. <laughs> I think going over Grundy as a selection makes sense because of the first, yep. you know, eight or so fixtures, mm-hmm. a captaincy option that's reliable that you can bank on. Yep. Um, I, I think that one is, I, I feel pretty confident about that. Um, if you do subscribe to either Our Grundy Patreon. being lazy, mm. <laughs> Grundy not being able to cope with Darcy Cameron in the side, who's most likely going to play while Will Kelly's out. Yep. Or you subscribe to there being less stoppages as we saw in the preseason games and that mm-hmm. affecting, you know, Ruckwin. I can see an argument where you would start Flynn at R2 and then you would pick Meek or Hunter at R3 given they're also likely to play at yep. least for a short period of time. Yep. I can see a world where that is better because you get Flynn who's likely going to be a high-scoring rookie yeah. Um, you get him on your field, and instead of your F6 or your D6 or your M8, um, like for example, if I have Connor Downey, for let's say his example is my M8, even let, even worse, I actually probably do have worse. Let's say I have Golden or Brockman at my M8, probably expecting like 55, and Flynn is going to likely go 75, 80, 85 yeah. maybe as the number one ruck. If he's yep. playing a soul ruck for GWS, that's mm-hmm. a thirty-point game right there. If I trade Grundy to a midfield premium, any mid. I could, I could, any mid, but but Neil, you know, I could be getting Clayton Oliver. I mean, then it's then my comparison becomes Clayton Oliver and thirty points versus Grundy, which I'm taking every every day of the week. Yeah, like w- without fail. The risk becomes Flynn sharing ruck time with Briggs. Flynn getting dropped, which is definitely possible because Briggs is there. Um, and then you've got, you're relying on Hunter who might be out of the team within the first couple of rounds when Marshall comes back or when Ryder comes back or Meek gets dropped if they decide to go with a different forward. I mean, it's harder now with Tracy suspended, but you know this could happen round four, round five, round six before you've even made enough cash from them to be able to save yourself. Yeah, um, There are... And those risks are kind of like, they cost you two trades that you didn't need to use. It, it's almost, I wouldn't say season over, because obviously you can still play well when you have two less trades, Chizo, but 
you're on the very, very far back foot. Yeah. I mean... And, yeah. I would take a rookie at D6 before I took a rookie at uh, uh, R2. Why? I think because now that Tracy's out, whereas people were like, oh, we could just kind of have some DPP action there to kind of back up Flynn if something's happened. We can pick Fullerton and Tracy. Fullerton's probably going to get two, maybe three price rises before he's potentially back out of the side. Yep. Tracy's out for three rounds, and then we don't even know if, you know, Fremantle might already have their set up and, you know, he's missed his kind of shot for a few weeks. Meek, yeah, potentially could get a game. And Hunter is literally, you know, got picked up by St Kilda three weeks ago. He wasn't on a list. And as soon as um, Ryder's personal issues uh, are dealt with um, and he feels comfortable to come back to the club and Marshall's coming back like round five, round six... The backup that you have for Flynn could evaporate within an instant. And just remember that Matt Flynn's been on GWS's roster since the year that Essendon last won a final. Well, at least it seems that way. You know, so if if he was 7, smashing the door down, ago? they wouldn't have picked Source and got Mumford out of um, retirement to come and play for them. So... I think we do need to temper expectations about what they can achieve and how quickly that R3 protection and DPP protection that you had to protect Flynn at R2 could just, in an instant, disappear. And then you're left holding the bag with no one to sideways to because how are you going to find 600K to get Grundy or Gorn? And so you end up stuck with like a 400K ruck and you got Pitney in there all of a sudden. You know, it, could, it just... It could... Like the the downside of that is just humongous in in my eyes, and yeah. you know I I I honestly see it the opposite way to you, Pistol. Like Gorn's got a great run coming up, but he's a tap ruckman, and we've already seen more marks and less stoppages. So does he drop way more than we thought? And he Grundy, might. who's a possession getting ruckman, who's less reliant on stoppages to get his points, is he gonna be less valuable than? what we think he is. Is he now more valuable because he's a possession getting Ruckman? You know, right. like it, it's, I feel like it's just an unnecessary risk because the difficulty in structuring the rest of your side is so great. Oh, it's just easy to chuck in an R2. There's probably an R3 that'll protect me if something goes wrong. You know what I mean? Like if Marshall was fit, like you could probably go for it because you can just swing him forward. But yeah, exactly. When he comes back in, that R3 protection you had is out. You know what I mean? So, And he's not even DPP to be able to swap Marshall in anyway to become your protection. It's just... Oh, it's it, it gives me heart palpitations just thinking about the people <laughs> considering it. Yeah, I, I probably would have done it if if Marshall was playing yeah. um, from the get-go because then you have that backup just in case things go wrong. Um, and this felt like something I would probably do and then get crucified on the podcast for, for doing. But I think that it's a higher it's 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 definitely a higher upside way to play the game but it is also way higher risk like it could you know derail your season very quickly and uh at least for me i feel like i can you know do well without having him at r2 and increasing the risk profile of your team just becomes mm. you know absolutely insane so um, I totally understand people wanting to do that, but that's that's not my style. Yeah. Um, I, I like risks, but not not like that. So um, I do understand. I think we we need to have the discussion. I do understand the pick. I understand it is for some people who like to play the game that way, but it's it's definitely just not not my style. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I totally agree. And everyone's got their own way of playing, and maybe they like to, you know, hang them near the walls, so to speak. But um, yeah, I, I think the the best way to sum it up is we're taking an opportunity cost, which is probably a few points week in, week out, to protect ourselves from the downside risk of something going majorly, yeah. majorly upside down. Yep. And you can't win it with your, your starting squad, but you can definitely lose it by round three if something that you could have prevented suddenly happens. That's exactly how I feel about that, Chizo. Um, I think that might wrap us up for the podcast. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on? No, I, I think I, I I would like to credit people chatting in Slack in that 
they just let everyone kind of say their piece about this, you know, I'm trialing with this structure and it's not like um, there's a bit of banter and stuff going, but most people are like, oh, okay, I can I can see what you're thinking. That's an interesting structure. Here's why I wouldn't do it. And I think everyone gets better because of it, because, you know, you, you're really delving into it. Whereas a lot of people I think that are taking these risky structures are just doing it because it's the easy option out and not really delving into the genuine risks behind it. So I think when you're assessing your structure, pick the rookies that matter, fill the spaces with the premiums you have. And if you find yourself with too many mid-prices, maybe just take the hard option to figure out something that's a little bit more, um, uh, that takes you a little bit more time to wrap your head around rather than taking the easy way out. It's, it's probably what I would say. Yeah. No, fair enough. I think the only last thing that I want to touch on, I know I was literally about to, to wrap it up, Chizo. Um, I think you said it earlier um, where teams that start Lloyd, Neil, Grundy and Gorn, um, it eats up a lot of your salary cap. And if you yeah. if you can manage... I don't. I don't think it's bad to have like two of them, like Grundy and Gorn, and not Lloyd and Neil. Um, if, as long as you are starting twelve premiums and not eleven premiums, I think if yep. you're starting that extra premium, you kind of, I guess, are two trades up on people that have eleven premiums, but they have more expensive premiums. So you're going to need to spend those two trades to be able to get Lloyd and Neil. Um, just as a general advice, like please don't ignore. Like if you're going to ignore them, don't have eleven premiums. I don't think that's a good way to structure side because yep. they do take more trades to get to them, um, and that's one of the first things I look at when someone sends me their team and says, "What do you think of this?" I count the premium players and I check if they have Lloyd, Neil, Grundy, and Gorn. That's the easiest way. Warning signs are just right there. If I see, you know, if I see um, eleven premiums and they they don't have those players in, so. It's 12 and you do basically you can I'd like to have a combination I've had teams I've had a lot of preseason teams where I've had three of them and that's sometimes Lloyd and sometimes Neil um, and 12 premiums or 11 premiums um, that's kind of the balanced approach but yeah definitely if you take all four 11 premiums seems fine if you are avoid if you're only taking two of them 12 premiums is definitely the go so um, yeah I think uh Keep in mind, we would recommend... It's it's pretty much all about the 11 premiums and 12 premiums. If you're making a side with 10 premiums, you're not going to be able to finish a side at the end of the year. We just don't have the trades for you to be able to do that. That means there's 12 upgrades necessary. One up, one down. That's 24 trades. Only leaves you with six for injury. It's just not going to happen for you if you do that. So I think that was my last point I really wanted to make before we wrapped up this podcast, Chiso. Yeah, yeah, and I agree. And I think that the obvious one that's not talked about enough is danger, is that... You know, we, we talk about um, these big players and the reason that you might want to start with them, even though they're overpriced, um, is because they're probably going to be five to ten points better than the second best in their line. And thinking about Lloyd, maybe Laird's the second best ten points behind him. If we're talking about the forward line, I reckon there's probably danger is legitimately the only one this year I see with the potential of going 110+. plus. I think Dunkley has a good year, but whether they are able to split the pie well enough and give enough midfield time to all of their mids, you don't know. Whereas I look at Dangerfield and say, if he's fit, he's 10 points higher than the next guy. And I think that's seriously underrated. Fair enough. I, I think Dunkley can get within 10 points of Dangerfield. But, oh, he know, can, he can. Let's see I'm what just, happens. <laughs> just to, to, uh, you know, I've, I've got, I, I asked this question in Slack and I got five different names that could go 115 in the forward line and I just fell off my chair. There's, there's not going to be five of them. Five? Yeah. I said, who 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 legitimately has a chance of going one fifteen plus in the forward line? Oh, and then I can, I just I can got name five. you five right now. It's going to be Butters. It's going to be um, <laughs> Jack Siebel. It's going to be Impy. Um, who else is in my forward line? It's going to be Dow. <laughs> I just got up and walked away. I was like, okay, we're not having a gin. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, thanks very much for all the support and all the listens and all the clicks and interacting with us over the preseason. Uh, we really, really appreciate everyone that's been giving us feedback. Um, and, and thanks to Pistol for uh, tagging me for as all the negative feedback for your rookie review. I've been getting quite a lot of it on Twitter, so I appreciate that. I can't believe people actually fell for that. That's supposed to be an inside joke. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for listening. We're honestly just blown away by the support. We could never have possibly imagined we'd be in you know the situation where 
Um, you know, I, I last night there was no DDs to do pistol. And I didn't know what to do with myself. I was like, I just want to get back on here and talk about more Supercoach. And, and and you did, <laughs> and, and I did. And I think you know we, we talk about it, it's so difficult to get up every single year. It's so easy to get up when you've got an awesome community surrounding you and uh, giving you support and stuff like that. And I hope that we give you the same feeling that we're just here to make sure that you're just having so much more fun with this game just like everyone else so um, thank you so much for the support all right well thank you very much uh for those comments jason and thank you community for listening